Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back to the 15th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of September 18th, 2022. I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast, and boy, am I excited just to be dealing with what a lot of pastors consider one of, again, one of these hard Luke and text. And I just have to say right off the rip, I don't feel in this week when I'm going through this that this is this difficult. And the reason is, is I think in a lot of ways you have to get out of the human construction, which we love doing here on this podcast. But when we get out of that human construction and start looking at it from a broader scope, it makes it a lot easier to be able to actually start breaking this down and getting into some of the nitty gritty. And I think in a lot of ways, opening up some of these ideas on how to be able to process this and be able to evaluate it. And the message that's there is, yes, difficult, but I think it's also essential for us as a body to be able to keep moving forward. So stay tuned, keep listening. I feel like this week we'll get into it a little bit deeper, but we have to get into the question for last week, which was, are you spending time with the group? Are you spending time with the rest of the flock? Are you spending time with the other nine coins? Are you spending time with the family? Or are you being part of the one that's leaving everyone else behind? And I found a really interesting response this last week, and I would 100% agree with it, that we all go through those times when we're lost, where we're separate. But yet, most of the time, we are trying to be around those other coins, other sheep, the other, the family in and of itself. So I think it's an interesting interplay that, but it's a really good self-evaluation tool, something that's constantly holding us accountable to make sure that we're staying true to who we are and true to who God has made us to be. And I think that's a really important part of it. One other thing that I'll also attach down below that I stumbled across after last week's podcast from SciShow talking about what makes a species a species. And especially when you start getting down to the bacteria level and further levels than that, it starts getting really hard to fully define, really interesting. And so I'll attach a link down below. I find it just absolutely fascinating and kind of continuing this idea of we always assume that science is hard and fast, but there's definitely gray areas. And this kind of video kind of leaks into a little bit of that gray area of speciation. So I would definitely would check recommend checking that out down below. So let's just jump into it for this week. One of the the semi-continuous Old Testament text is out of Jeremiah chapter 8, verse 18 to chapter 9, verse 1. This is as Jeremiah is about to be arrested, and it's kind of still in this early phase of him kind of again trying to get the tribe of Israel, the people of Israel, to recognize what's going on. And they aren't really recognizing it. And so in this part, we hear how Jeremiah is kind of crushed a little bit with this. My joy is gone. My grief is upon me. My heart is sick coming from verse 18 and recognizing how the people are crying out. The people should be recognizing that why aren't we living into what God has promised, but realizing that it's because of these foreign idols of worship and foreign images that were being used instead of recognizing God. And in doing that, how it's hurting the people, it's causing dismay, kind of talking a little bit like we did last week. It's kind of this pull being pulled away from God, this 
potential evolution away from God and this disruption that that causes. And so then we get even here in verse 22, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician? Why then has the health of my poor people not been restored? Is no one else recognizing this? Is no one else dealing with this? And again, where is God all in this? And how are people going to get healed in this recognition of what is going on? So, a really hard text, but fun text in a way to be able to recognize the heart that God does still have in this case coming through the voice of Jeremiah. The psalm this week then for that text is Psalm 79 verses 1 to 9. This then is a recognizing again what has all been going on in Jerusalem. That yes, there's been things that haven't been going well, that the people haven't been necessarily always perfectly faithful, but yet there's all these ways that God provides, and yet will God just continue to be angry forever? And so this this psalm of recognition of ways that we as people fail, we as people don't live up to the expectations of what God is wanting, but then the recognition of one, will God continue to recognize that we are being repentant and trying to move in the direction to bring us closer to God, which is part of our progress too, but also then remembering that we are still part of this bigger family and to have grace and salvation upon us that as long as we are working to forgive those sins and will God continue to keep having this grudge against us? No, that let's repair this relationship then compared to just continuing to be frustrated over it. The other Old Testament text is out of Amos chapter 8 verses 4 to 7. This is a book that, again, as we've talked about before, was potentially written by a shepherd coming down out of the mountains, being a prophet to the people, and so kind of an unpopular person to be able to be presenting this information. But we get this text again of how it's so easy for us to run ransack it over the people who are in need, the poor of the land, the poor people, the needy people, and how often we play games to have the wealthy in ways get wealthier and yet make it harder for the poor to be able to get what they need to survive and ways to continue to make money and different things. And the Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, surely I will not forget any of these deeds. This idea of how we still need to be honest and upright and have integrity and that God, you may be deceiving man, but you're not deceiving God in that. The psalm that goes with that is Psalm 113. And this then is that recognition of praising God that he has provided so much for us day in, day out, long before we ever came to being and long after we ever are of being. But then also this recognition of how God is seeing all this, that God is trying to work with the poor and making sure that they are provided for. He's also the one that is appointing people to lead and be in charge and being able to help be his voice over groups of people. So this idea of how God is really in control and recognition of that. And I think especially as humans, well, there's a lot of times that we wrestle with that. The epistle text or second reading is from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. 
And this is kind of playing a little bit into that psalm a little bit. This recognition of, again, that we're praying, we're giving our intercessions and thanksgivings, we're giving thanks to God, and that God is then placing these people in charge to be a voice over the people, and that this, as long as we are staying in the truth and following where the sight of God is leading us, then it makes it easier in that. And that in doing that, we need to make sure that we're meditating with Christ himself and being able to recognize that. And recognizing also in that, in doing that, that this is what Christ came into the world for was this divide that we have. And going up as a ransom as oneself to be able to bridge these two sides, the intentions and our reality of life. And then the juicy gospel this week is out of Luke chapter 16, the first 13 verses. So you get Jesus telling his disciples this parable that there is a manager who is in charge of this property and he is found to be squandering this property. So he gets called into the office and gets told, essentially, you're fired. You no longer can manage my land. So this manager, who has just been fired, says, what am I going to do? I'm not strong enough to dig. I'm too ashamed to beg. So he starts calling in people who have debts. First being here, someone who owes 100 jugs of olive oil. He tells them to make it 50. He has another person come in who owes 100 containers of wheat. He says, make it 80. And one note is... It's interesting on how bad a manager this person is actually because he's asking them how much do they owe right off the rip. So immediately his books are so bad he doesn't even realize how much these people owe. So after this, the master of the land or the owner of the land tells the dishonest manager that he has acted shrewdly, that children of light need to be more shrewd in this generation. And then I think one of the verses that can get difficult in certain ways is verse 9. And I tell you, make friends for yourself by means of dishonest wealth, so that when it's gone, they may welcome you into their eternal homes. Because the whole idea that this property manager had is, if I do this, they'll at least welcome me in to their homes. I won't be seen as this victim within the community. And then we get into this discussion of, person who is faithful with little will also be faithful with a lot. And so God being able to trust based off of even just a small amount can see the value of your heart. So starting in verse 10, whoever is faithful with very little is faithful also in much. Whoever is dishonest with a little is dishonest also in much. If then you have been faithful with dishonest wealth, who will entrust you with the true riches? And if you have been faithful for what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? And the famous verse from this text coming from verse 13, no slave can serve two masters for a slave can either hate the one and love the other or be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and wealth. And this is where this text ends this week. So before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we do a shameless plug. 
Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to be able to give me some different ideas and be able to hear from different biblical scholars on how these different texts all come together. So if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. I'd also highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy using it because of one, how they lay out the text week after week, but they also have art, prayers, hymns, different things to be able to bring into worships or just as you're reflecting on these texts. So if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. The verse that a lot of preachers will definitely kind of gravitate toward are these last four verses, but specifically verse 13, talking about that you cannot serve both God and wealth. And I think a lot of ways where we get hung up on this text is trying to look at it purely from a human perspective instead of looking at it from a broader perspective, which in my opinion is where Jesus is actually trying to take this. What I think Jesus is actually trying to reiterate here is business, looking at business practice. So starting right in way in verse 1, The manager gets told he's not going to be in charge of the land because he has been squandering the property. So the owner immediately is seeing that there has been something going on with the property and decides to get rid of this land manager. We realize how bad of a land manager he has been as we continue through, but he is seeing that he has squandered the property. On top of that, then he's telling him essentially to turn in his books so that they can look at them to see what all else is going on. And that's where then you start seeing, how can I shrewdly do this? But it's the initial is the squandering of property. We have even an Amos talking about the trampling of the needy, bringing ruin to the poor of the land. Timothy bringing up that it's God who is appointing people to higher positions And that, again, that's still meaning that you have to stay right with God. I think in a lot of ways, this is a text for us to constantly be reflecting and thinking about how our day-to-day lives, are they being reflected in a positive manner? Is our day-to-day interactions actually having negative effects? And if they are, are we doing something to fix them? To get to the point where you are squandering property and being seen as a someone who needs to be called into the office to be recognized and looked at and thought about, there's a lot of things that must have been going wrong beforehand that hadn't been modified. Either this was a bad manager because he hadn't actually thought about that and hadn't thought about things were going poorly, or he was, in a ways, figuring out ways to build up himself and screw the person that I'm working for. When I'm thinking of a science tie-in with this, there was a recent scientific paper talking about how small mammal communities are drastically changing over the last 70 years compared to 500 years ago. And I'll attach the article down below along with kind of a science news perspective of being able to kind of break it down into more of a simplistic way. But basically what they were looking at is they were comparing the Anthropocene, which is an unofficial unit of geological time, but it's more of more recent Earth history. They're classifying that in this paper from about the 1950s to present and recognizing that there has been 
a significant amount of human interaction and influence then within small mammal communities. And in doing that, they were realizing how that compared to the Holocene, which is about 500 years ago, that these impacts were large. But there were three major conclusions that they drew from all this study. First, small mammal diversity decreased with increased human modification. Species richness and evenness decreased across the modern sites based on the level of human modification. Second, the overall makeup of today's small mammal communities is fundamentally distinct from past communities even 500 years ago. This shows that human activities have impacted even the most resilient of species on the Earth's ecosystem. The final result, which does give a little hope. Our results demonstrate that even a relatively small protected space can at least partially protect native faunal communities, aka small mammal communities, if you're setting them aside. How does this relate then, especially with the land manager? This land manager, partially what made him so bad is that he wasn't able to realize that things were going wrong to be able to modify things to make the land more productive, to make things better, to not necessarily fix the books, but to be able to make the land more productive so that, yes, there was a mistake. Let me work on fixing that mistake to be able to actually make this land more productive instead of completely ignoring it. And the idea that we get here is the ignoring it is something that is being talked about. And that's where he is in this position of, oh, what do I do? Because they're asking for his books to be looked at. That he's realizing how bad of a manager this guy has really been. It's one of the things within faith communities, within business, within life, within science, you have to be able to look at where are the potential problems and then work on working on them instead of completely ignoring it. And it's amazing within business how often we hear about scandals and what a lot of it is, is it starts with a simple oversight that someone does notice, but they continue to decide to ignore. Part of why this is so important and to bring more science into it is something called the Linnaean shortfall, which is the disparity between the number of species that we have been able to put descriptions to versus the number of actual living species roaming the earth. Talking a little bit more of like what we talked about last week. This is the recognition that we have not discovered everything that's out there. There is lots of species that still need to be discovered, specifically a lot of places where they're hard to get to, harsh environment, things of that nature, that humans have a hard time spending time there. So there's a lot of potential of finding new species of mammals, plants, insects, you name it, that just have never been described. This Linnaean shortfall, we can never experience if we're bad land managers because we wouldn't even know that it's going on because we're not even taking care of the land to begin with. Where's gifts then that we're missing because we're not even taking care of the place initially? I'll attach another link to a TEDx talk talking about how young people can help halt biodiversity loss. But one of the things that the person Tim Coles talks about is how in citizen science, which we've talked about that before, where normal everyday citizens are helping within science, there are ways and tools and developments that we're figuring out that the normal person can help with without having a high advanced degree. So one example of this is within birding communities. 
typically to be an ornithologist, one who studies birds, and do point count surveys where you stand out somewhere for 10 minutes and are identifying all the different bird species. One of the things with modern technology that we've been able to do to help with this is recording bird sounds. And in doing that, when that's happening, you're also recording all the other sounds around. In this process of doing it and being able to compare audio files and different things, we have discovered different species, not only of birds, but other mammals and such that were hidden in plain sight, in quotes, because maybe we weren't tuned into it, or maybe we found it then on the recording and realized, no, this is something new. Go back and find this, because it's like, wow, this is crazy. This is something new. If we're bad land managers... And if we just decide to ignore that, you lose something that you didn't even know you had. The process of being a bad land manager, the cost is high. The cost is so tremendous because you don't even know fully what you're losing. So when Jesus then starts talking about go and make friends with dishonest wealth so that when they're gone, you may live with their eternal homes. This idea of if you're just going to rob the place and just keep going, sure, make sure that you have a group of friends because when this all falls apart, you might as well have the company of them who don't have anything else either. When God is saying you can't serve both God and wealth, he's stating as part of recognizing God, in my opinion, it's this recognition of the blessing of what is going on. So it's this constant self-evaluation to make sure that you're doing the best that you can, to realize the shortfalls that you have, to realize the ways that are falling short, and to deal with it. The dishonest wealth is seeing a problem and ignoring a problem. And especially coming from a science perspective, that's what the whole discussion and conclusion sections of a paper are about, is talking about and being brutally honest with yourself on where there's things that you potentially are overlooking, biases you may have, things that need to be further investigated to make sure that this is the best possible way of us understanding what is going on. Are we doing that within our own personal lives? Are we doing that within our corporate business lives? Are we doing that collectively together? Are we willing to see where there's things that we're overlooking together? Where it becomes a dishonest land manager is when we realize it and don't do anything about it and keep ignoring it and it keeps coming up and we decide, eh, it's not a big deal. Then the owner of the property comes up and says, why am I giving you this post? Because you're destroying this. When we look at our business practices and how we're moving forward, taking a study like we have this week with small mammal communities, I think we need to be able to evaluate, okay, when we're developing things, we have hurt things also. We've hurt small mammal communities. Are we willing to go in and then realize, okay, now we need to modify some things. We need to make sure that we're setting aside places where we're not touching to let those fauna and let those ecosystems thrive. These places that we've interacted, can we keep it within just these borders that we have to limit the amount of impacts outside of that? Are we willing to do that? Are we willing to look at, okay, if we are having impacts, how are we having impacts? Is there ways and modifications to the practices that we already do to make it so that there is less impact? We are told to be gardeners of this garden of a place that we have been given. That means we need to be able to recognize the gifts that are there. We need to be able to recognize and acknowledge 
the things that are there and be an honest land manager with the land. We need to be an honest land manager with our faith. We need to be honest land managers with each other. I think we have to start with the land in and of itself and recognizing our role as a gardener to be able to really start being able to see, okay, this cracks this open, this is what's going on, and this is why I need to keep evaluating myself, keep evaluating the groups that I'm in, keep evaluating and working with other people and saying, what is going on here to make sure that we're keeping on the up and up for everyone? It's an evaluation text. It's hard because it's not necessarily easy to preach it to a community, but it's preaching it to a community to say we have both individual and community roles to each other. This is a text that we're not looking backward. It's a text we're looking forward. It's a text of taking the information that we have now and how do we modify things so that this doesn't become a bigger problem in the future, not staying with what the historical model has been. If we're going to discover new species, if we're going to discover the wealth that God has given us, not the wealth that we are necessarily seeking, we have to be able to evaluate. We have to be able to recognize when we're making a mistake and say, yeah, maybe we need to do some compromises here to be able to at least save what we have. Realizing the mistake that we've made and let's try to at least do it. But yes, we have to still be careful. Let's see if we can get to this process before we've lost everything, before we've been pulled as a land manager, where we then suddenly have shadier and shadier business to do. It gets back to kind of this whole discussion that we've talked about with climate change before, where the sooner we make small changes to our lives, the less we actually have to make, the less disruption we actually have to make. The longer we wait, the bigger the moves have to be, the more disruption to what we know is because essentially we have the owner of the land coming to us and saying, you have been a bad land manager, hand me the books, hand me the keys. We need to find someone else. And that's in a lot of ways where we're at. When we have studies like what is coming out of here, out of the frontiers in ecology and evolution, talking about small mammals and how they're being altered by communities, we need to be able to take this information and realize how is this going to modify our behavior instead of just ignoring it. We have to take and understand the Linnaean shortfall and being able to realize we have to take that into consideration in the things that we're doing. Is it worth the risk of potentially losing things we haven't even discovered yet for this? Are these things that we're weighing and thinking about in our day-to-day lives? This is what we're being called into. This is this evaluation process we're constantly trying to evaluate on ourselves to become closer to Christ, to be able to have a better relationship, be able to recognize the gifts that are actually being given to us instead of seeking things that we are then suddenly saying that are valuable. It's this recognition of a continuing to recognize God within our lives, continuing to recognize the places that we fall short and trying to fix them so that we can become closer to God instead of suddenly recognizing and overlooking things. So the question that I have for you this week is where do you fall short? Because I know for myself, I fall short daily. There's plenty of things where I want to be an environmentalist, but then look around in my communities and recognize how much better of an environmentalist I can be. I look at how I do my work and be critical of myself in that there are things that I can do better. There's more efficiencies that I can do. And that's where, yes, there's the grace of God in that. There's also the times where God's saying, yes, you're doing well. But I think there's also a point where God is also saying, thank you for being also critical of yourself. 
Don't just take all the the compliments. Be also being willing and able to hear the harsh criticism to be able to move forward. That also means that modifications in behavior, modifications of things, recognizing things that need to be changed can all be hard pills to swallow, but are essential for us to be able to continue to grow and move forward and be closer to God. Having our eyes opened enough to be able to see the impacts of the things that we are doing instead of being blinded and just being solely focused on ourselves. The land manager, after treating the land poorly, opened his eyes to, in a stealthy way and probably not the best way, to suddenly start relating to other people. And yes, is it the best land practices? No. But he had compounded so many things that he had overlooked that then this is the only way he could get somewhat out of it. How often do we do that in our own lives? Make compromises, sacrifices, all these different things that suddenly we get to places where we don't know where we are at. Being a good land manager is hard. Ecologically, being a good land manager within your work is hard. Being a good land manager within yourself is hard. Being a good land manager with God is extremely difficult. But it's also recognizing the places where we fall short. And not just being content with recognizing them. Being content to then work with God to fix them before it becomes a bigger problem. This is part of our faith development. This is part of us growing as human beings. And this is part of us growing closer to God in this weird gospel text placed between the prodigal son and Lazarus. But I think it's important for us to be able to process it. It's important for us to realize that we have to be critical of ourselves in order for all of us, individually and as a community, to actually grow closer to Christ. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.